like in numbers today, but we are going to go ahead and get started anyways. Uh, we have several folks, a little under the weather or <laughs> under the covers, one or the other, still <laughs> sleeping. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh boy, but we are, we are going to go ahead and get started. It's good to be here. It's good to see everyone. Um, Um, so it is uh, it's a blessing to be here. We're going to go ahead and start with a hymn. Let's turn in our hymn books over to number 44. Number 44. Elijah's trying his hand at the guitar this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and stand together as we sing. All hail the power of Jesus' name. You want me to start first? Are you going to do And you're going to join me? Or are you going to? Okay. <coughs> All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Yeah, that was the challenge with me starting before the guitar. We didn't start on the same key. Yeah. <coughs> I'm thinking two, yeah. but I'm really not that good at this, so I could be completely wrong. No, I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me. Unless we're talking about the alphabet. I know it's the first letter. So. <laughs> and, it, and it sounds like, ah, no, I'm just kidding. No, no. Ah, my fault. See, I don't even know what it sounds like. There we go. Each chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace. And We'll figure it out before we're done here. It's really helpful getting into it. Right, we do. That's right. All right, let's try. Huh? All right. Want me to start first? Yes, we know where we're at. Yes, then we'll know where we're at. Good call. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to Oh, 
Troy, would you open us in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for, for this day and for bringing us together that are here. I pray, Lord, for those that are home and sick. And I thank you, Lord, for the uh, bringing us all through the weather yesterday and last mm. night and giving us a glorious day to be here in your house and here uh, listening to your word. I pray, Lord, that it would fill in our hearts and help us, Lord, to be better uh, individuals for you and for your glory. Uh, bless the service. Bless pastor. Christ Jesus, we pray to you today. Amen. 78, if you would. Hymn number 78. <clears throat> Pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable land. feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world. Though Satan's darts at me are hurled, for faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till heaven I've found. Lord, lift me up on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. By faith on heaven's stable land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Amen. Good singing. You may be seated. Thank you for that. Well, I'm used to getting up now. So now I'm like, wait, I already kind of said it's good to be in church today. That's my, my usual go-to line. But it is good. I will tell you, we had a fun time at family camp 
It is uh, always a lot of fun, uh, but when you're not used to being outside from pretty much 7.30 in the morning till 10.30 at night or so, it, it wears you out doing that a couple few days. And uh, we didn't, Eric and I didn't sleep there. Uh, Elijah and Elizabeth spent one night in the tent and uh, had fun, but they were ready to get back to their own beds after that one night. <laughs> Uh, that was good, and we were ready for them to come back and help us with the dogs after that, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Great preaching. Uh, Brother Joe Hawkins from upstate New York, uh, been in the ministry for over 30 years, uh, and uh, was a tremendous preacher. The theme was profitable out of 2 Timothy 3.16, and he went through, talked about profitable, obviously it's talking about the Word of God, then he went through profitable for doctrine, talked about doctrine, talked about reproof, another message, instruction in righteousness, another, uh, no, correction, another message, and then instruction in righteousness, and uh, it was just really, really good, so I was thankful for that, and for the challenges we got out of that, and then, of course, just the whole week was a blessing, it's fun fellowshipping, uh, but as much as I love being with all those people that I've known for, a lot of them we've known for I don't know, 20 plus years, some of them anyways, uh, it's always good to be back with our church family. This is home. Like, that was fun, and it's good seeing those people, but it was kind of like, just can't wait to be at church on Sunday and be with our church family. Amen. It is just always such a blessing. Uh, and it's nice hearing our kids say that, too. Like, as much fun as they have, they say, I can't wait to see our church family. And it's just a blessing. Uh, so, a couple things I did want to mention. Uh, one... Uh, men's prayer breakfast is going to be the 30th, so that's in a couple weeks uh, at 7.30 a.m. I was able to pick up some of the Threns' new CDs, um, so they're $15 a piece. Unfortunately, they, you know, they don't make as much as, uh, I don't know, I can't think of any mainstream artists, uh, you know, some country star or pop star, so, uh, you know, they, they don't make that many, so they're 15 a piece. I bought, there's nine of them total. There's one here, someone already bought one, and then there's eight more. I'll get this back there, I just wanted to. Um, but if you want one, just you know, throw 15 bucks on the offering plate this week, next week, whatever, and uh, um, that'll be fine. Uh, but there's one song by uh, Ben and Sarah, his new wife. Um, so they sing, he is, to, uh, no, they sing, My Heart Knows, it's on here somewhere, there we go. And then um, the man who used to be a traveling evangelist, Buddy Blunkall, I don't know, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you hadn't, uh, he had this Martin guitar, this nice Martin guitar, he used to travel all over the country, he's been singing for like 40 years, preaching and singing around the country, well a few years ago he fell off his roof and passed away, he was 68 at the time, and uh, well his wife, Miss Phyllis, was a blessing to the friend family, and gave Brother Mark that Martin guitar. And, you know, it's probably a three or $4,000 guitar. Someone, some church probably gave it to Brother Blunkle. I don't know, you know, but. Um, so one of the songs that Brother Blunkle used to sing, him and his wife, is Precious Name. And uh, so they sing that with Miss Phyllis Blunkle, Buddy's wife on here. So that's just kind of a, a precious song, just a special song on there. And then there's several that if you've heard the Thren sing in the last year, you may have heard them sing some of these songs. But anyways, I'd encourage you. It's good, godly music. 
It's God-honoring. And if you know the friends, you know their heart and their genuine love for the Lord. And one of the things I always love about this family is, uh, you know, you always expect the preacher and his wife to love the Lord, but it's special when their kids love the Lord, too. Um, that's always been my heart for our kids, is that everyone expects me, because I'm a pastor, and my wife to love the Lord, but we want our kids to have a genuine love for the Lord, too. And that's one of the things that always impresses me with the friends, is they've got 11 kids, and they all seem to really love the Lord. So it always just touches my heart. So I'd encourage you, if you'd like to, uh, get a copy of that, and you'll be blessed by it. Uh, and it's, a, it's done well. You know, the, the quality of it is good. So it doesn't sound like they've recorded it in their, uh, you know, in their bus or, you know, in their, uh, with their headphone mic and stuff. It's, it's done well professionally. So it'll be a blessing to you. But All right. And then I did also want to mention, we've been praying for Brother Andy. Uh, his dad passed away. Well, last week, Brother Elliot's dad passed away as well. So if you would be praying for Brother Elliot and the family. And uh, just their, you know, their loved ones. Everybody's going to be, um, you know, going through that and dealing with that and all the service arrangements and everything. And, of course, it's down in the Cape, so it's not like it's up here close to home and easy. It's traveling back and forth. And he's been down there for the last several days um, just being there for his family. So uh, keep him in your prayers. Keep the family in your prayers. And um, just... You know, pray God would allow opportunities for witnessing and souls to be saved through all of this. So, all right, I think that is all the announcements I have for right now. If I could have our ushers come on down. And Caleb, I usually have you pray for the offering. Elijah, why don't you pray this morning? Yes, sir. Thank you for this Sunday, Lord. Help us have a good time in your word once we speak to Pastor. Uh, pray help everybody with this cold going around um, and the allergies, Lord, of the season. Please uh, bless everybody, Lord, and help us all feel better. Um, help us have a safe drive home today, Lord, and I pray that uh, you bless the pastor and speak to him, Lord, and that we'd all be touched and uh, add to our faith, Lord, today. Help us have a great Lord's Day, giving you, uh, Lord, we need more about you, more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. and I did. <laughs> We're in sync. One flesh, right? My arm goes up, her arm goes up. No, <laughs> just kidding. All right, let's go ahead and turn in our hymn books one more time. Hymn number 87. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> 87, more about Jesus. Why don't we stand one more time? Well, actually, I'll probably have you stand again when we read the Bible, too. But. Yeah. Would I learn more of his grace? 
that. You're going a little too fast for me. Okay. Try slowing that strum down just a okay. The key's fine. Don't you don't need the capo. You need, you need capo? No. Right, I'll be a little slower for you. Try slowing down. Right, so Play it like it's three, four times. Okay. More about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus. Let me learn more of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. Jesus on his throne, riches and glory all his own, more of his kingdom sure increase, more of his coming prince of peace, more, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus, more of his saving for more of his love who died for me. Amen. Good singing. We got to work on the timing. <laughs> we got to work on the timing on that one. <laughs> That's all right. We'll get it someday. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. He doesn't get as much practice as I do lately, so that is. Andy took the time this morning to go because I got about 20 songs in the hymn book that I've got that I've been doing for the last couple years when we don't have a piano player, and he says we need some new ones. So this morning before church, he went and found some songs we haven't sung with the guitar before. So that one was a new one. Well, by Jesus. It was. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yes. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Honestly, I hemmed and hawed about what to do for this morning, just praying, and family camp always kind of throws a, uh, it's a good thing, don't get me wrong, but it always kind of adjusts my schedule a little bit, and um, so... The Lord kind of just put something on my heart, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Apparently, I need to work on knowing my Bible better, because we're going to be in not 1 Corinthians, but 2 Corinthians 10, 6, so we, we all got to work on knowing our Bibles better, but I knew it was 2 Corinthians and just typed 1 Corinthians for some reason. 
2 Corinthians, yes. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6. So there's something that every person, every Christian, uh, everyone who's not a Christian struggles with and deals with in their lives. Um, and this passage addresses, I mean, there's a number of things, but we're going to talk this morning specifically about this one called strongholds. And, you know, we could say there are some good strongholds that we can have, you know, some positions that we take that we protect and hold dear, and doctrines especially. You know, we should have strongholds that are Bible doctrine and Bible truth. Uh, but there are times that we deal with strongholds that are not right, that are wrong ideas, wrong thinking, wrong beliefs. And here's what happens. It starts out as we're children. We're taught by our parents through their words. We're taught by our parents through their actions. We're taught by our school teachers. If you go to school, we're taught by our pastors or Sunday school teachers or other family members or people in our lives that have influence over us. We're taught by things that we see, by experiences that we have. And all these different areas of our life where there are influences, Sometimes we knowingly or unknowingly formulate an opinion or an idea about something that may be wrong, but over the course of time it becomes so fixed in our minds that it's a stronghold. And there's only one way to correct that, and that is with truth and receiving that truth as such and the Holy Spirit working to help us renew our minds through His truth, through God's truth. That being said, it's not always an easy process, and it's not a natural process. But sadly, strongholds prevent Christians sometimes from being right with God, from doing the right things, from living out their faith correctly, Sometimes strongholds prevent somebody who doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior from trusting Him as their personal Savior. Because of all these opinions and ideas that they formulated, they don't receive the truth of God's Word as it is in truth. Um, so, anyways, we're going to deal with strongholds some this morning. We'll look at a few different areas, a few different things that give us signs that we have strongholds, and we'll touch a little more on how we pull down those strongholds. But let's go ahead and stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. I'll read the scripture, we'll pray, be seated, and we'll, we'll get into it here. It says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. It's 2 Corinthians. I got the wrong passage on the screen. Yeah. You stepped out, so you missed that. Yeah, sorry. All right, verse number two. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. And we know that the two are one and the same. It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to receive your word as it is in truth, the word of God. And Father, help us not to take it for granted. Help us not to see it as a casual read but help us to hold near and dear to our heart and precious, uh, Lord, to us, your word, because it is through your word that souls are saved. It's through your word that lives are changed. It's through your word that minds are renewed and refreshed and changed. Lord, it is through your word that we have hope. Father, we could continue to talk about all the things we have through your word. Father, I just ask you to help us not to take it for granted, but to love it as we love you. Lord, I just pray you bless our time this morning. Praying everything we say and do, you'd be honored and pleased and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right, so you know one of the problems with strongholds is strongholds kill faith. Strongholds weaken our ability to overcome temptation. Strongholds uh, affect our judgment. They lead us into wrong doctrine, and they cause us to have a poor attitude, uh, which I believe is this comes out a poor, as a result of a poor spirit. So what is this negative stronghold? I know I've touched on some of this already. It's a faulty thinking pattern based on lies and deceit. And sometimes they're lies we tell ourselves. Sometimes they're lies we've been told. Uh, this is why we need to learn what the Bible says, we need to learn what we believe and why we believe it, which the why needs to be because it's what the Word of God says. It's what the Bible teaches. Uh, in our text, if you notice, verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Uh, you know, Tom Malone was a preacher years ago, and uh, he's in heaven now. He preached into his 90s. I don't think he pastored into his 90s, but he preached into his 90s. And uh, he said, you know, he said, you can't stop a flock of birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. Uh, and, you know, it's that way with thoughts. We can't stop thoughts from passing through our minds but we can keep them from sticking, sticking there and us dwelling on or thinking on things that we shouldn't. Uh, you know, I have a, uh, I probably shouldn't say, I have a special gift. I think in my lifetime, three or four times, I have had a bird go to the bathroom on my head. I mean, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how it happens, but most people go their whole lives and never one time have that happen to them. And I've had it happen three or four times. It's a gift, but... I just don't let them build a nest in my hair, I, but apparently I let them go to the bathroom on my head. <laughs> so, uh, but we need to work on taking our thoughts captive, and that's what that verse is talking about. You know, they, they're going to pass through because we see something or we hear something. They're going to go through our minds, but we don't have to let them stay there. We need to take that wrong thinking, those wrong thoughts captive, 
And what do we do with them? We take them captive. Well, we take them captive into the obedience of Christ. So we fix it and we correct that wrong thought with what is right according to the Word of God. That's what that's talking about. The word stronghold is a walled fortress or city. Think Jericho from the Old Testament. Uh, I can't remember the exact reference in Proverbs, and I don't know if I'm going to quote it correctly, but uh, what's that verse? It says a, it's like a hum, uh, broken spirit. Uh, hang on, hang on. What is it? I know, that's what I'm... Yeah, I think that there's a couple verses, and I can't think of how it goes, but I'll come up with them later. But you're on the right track. I know you were saying similar. What were you saying? Yeah, that's kind of along the same lines, too. But there is a verse that talks specifically about being like a city without walls. And I can't think... I think it's if we can't control our spirit. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. Yes, that's the one I was thinking of. So it's, I knew it had something to do with the spirit and a city broken down without walls, but that's it. If we, he, that control, he that can't control his own spirit, I'm misquoted a little bit still. He that controlleth not his own spirit. So wrong thinking will cause us to lose control of our spirit. And, and our attitude will not be right. Uh, that's why it says it's like a broken uh, city that is broken down without walls because there are no defenses. And when we have a wrong spirit, we, are, we, are, we put ourselves in a position of becoming the enemy's playground because they can just roll right in and conquer us. So how do we get to a place where we have a right mindset, where we have the right spirit, well, a good place to start is being sure there are no strongholds in our life, that we're not, that we're not defending the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So we need to have right thinking. Acts chapter 5, verse 1, gives us a pretty good indication as to where strongholds come from. <clears throat> Acts, Acts 5. There you go, it's on the screen now, sorry. Acts 5, verse 1. Help if I actually get into Acts. Here, I'm, I flipped through Romans twice now. I keep not going back far enough to talk and turn. It says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So notice who filled Ananias' heart with this idea. Ananias told God, him and his wife Sapphira told God, we're going to sell this possession and we'll take all the money that we receive from the sale of it and we'll give it to you. So they sold the possession. And the Bible doesn't give us the whole play-by-play -play as to how their thought process worked, but I picture it kind of like this. Wow, we got more money for that than what we thought we were going to. Well, maybe it's because you told God you were going to give him the money. So God said, well, I'm going to get his, you know, I'm going to get a good amount out of this thing. But no, that's not how the human mind thinks. That's not how Satan wants us to think. So, wow, I got a lot of money for, for this. 
that's more than what I thought we were going to be given to God. Well, he'll probably be happy with 75% of it. That's what I was thinking I was going to give him. And I'll keep this 25% and I'll fix that, put those new tires on my truck, or I'll fix this thing that's going on, or I'll put new windows in my... Now, I know that they didn't have trucks or houses probably with windows, but that's the kind of things that might go through our minds, or I'll take my wife out for a nice date or take her away for a night or something, whatever it might be. We think, well, that's more than what I really wanted to give God or was thinking, so well, I'm going to hold back a little bit. And they justify it in their mind and get themselves into a position of a stronghold because even though in their hearts they might know that they're supposed to do this thing, they've convinced themselves up here that it's okay, and they get themselves to a point where they believe the lie. And ultimately, this lie caused them to not only lie to themselves, but to lie to God, the Holy Spirit, because they told God, I'll sell this and give you the proceeds. And they sold it and kept back some of the proceeds, some of the profit. So, Satan will cause us to do that. Uh, we also do it to ourselves sometimes. Uh, so, all strongholds start out as an idea. Uh, we've talked about this some already. This idea, thought, remains after some time. It becomes ingrained and almost invincible. One man once said that he struggled for two years with an untrue thought about God. He said he would read a verse that seemed to make that thought true, and write after a verse that would show it was not. You know how that happens? Uh, is by not rightly dividing the Bible, not rightly dividing the word of truth. Because, like, for instance, we can go to the book of Acts, and we can read about how they laid hands on people and healed them, how they spoke in tongues, <clears throat> how they performed miracles. Well, that was... Church, they did it in the churches a lot of times, so, well, that must mean we can do that stuff. And there are churches out there that teach and believe that they can do those things. Uh, so we could read that and then go, oh, that is true. But then we go somewhere else and we read and we don't see those things happening and go, well, how is this all pan out? I don't understand. Well, dispensationalism. Certain times, certain people, God chose to do things differently than he did at other times. And we are beyond those things. So, uh, eventually that guy did get it right. It just took him a couple years. So it only becomes a stronghold when we embrace it and accept it as true. Some people deny the biblical mandate for tithing, for church attendance, for godly living, among many other truths, and are unwilling to budge even when shown from the Bible. Behind every tragedy of human character lies a long period of wicked thinking. And there's a lot of truth to that. So how do we know if we have strongholds in our life? John chapter 8. The Gospel of John. We're going to begin in verse 31. down through 34. It says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So we might not realize that we're in bondage because we have freedom. We live in the United States of America. I'm nobody's slave, so I like to think that anyways. Uh, well, how am I in bondage? I've been free my whole life, sort of. Uh, so, but we justify our thinking and say, well, that doesn't really make any sense. Well, we don't understand that we're in bondage to sin, and we're in bondage to our wrong thinking when we have it. It will control us and influence us and cause us to be wrong on things, to be wrong in areas. We may not even recognize it. But until we accept the truth and we open ourselves up to God through his word, revealing error to us in our lives. That was something that we heard about some during family camp this week when, when Brother Hawkins was talking about reproof and correction. And he discussed some about how pride settles in. And we are just unwilling to be shown error in our lives, whether it be from somebody he also pointed out that if we're not careful, we can even be unwilling to let the Word of God reveal things to us that we need to correct. The Word of God will reprove us. It will correct us. But if we are so prideful that when we read something, we go, well, eh, that's okay. Then we're not letting God do the work that He wants to do in our lives. He said this, Erica liked this. I mean, I liked it a lot too, but she brought it up later. He said, pride is like a rattlesnake. You might be able to charm it a little bit, but you can never tame it. <laughs> well, you know, that's true. We might be able to kind of get it, get a hold of it sometimes, but if we're not careful, it comes right back out, and it'll, it'll bite us again and again and again. And it's something that we always will struggle with. We, we will never get entirely rid of it. We might get it put away for a time, but if we're not careful, it's going to pop its head out again. So, remember Acts 5? Satan used what the world had to offer to cause Ananias to lie to God. So, <clears throat> John 2, 16, I put this one on the screen. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I believe those are the, that sums up the ways that we are tempted. All sin can be traced to these things. Some might say all sin can be traced to pride, and I don't disagree with that. All right, so let's see some signs of wrong thinking in our lives. Number one, you have a stronghold if your mind continues to focus on a particular event from the past. If we can't let go of something, Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul worked at this, Philippians 3 verse 13. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He goes on to say, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
You know, we all have things from our past. Some wrong that was done to us, some hurt, some wrong that we did, something that we regret. Maybe from before we were saved, maybe since we've been saved, we did something that we wish we hadn't and that we, we feel bad about and we have, uh, you know, guilt over. You know, if we've asked the Lord to forgive us for it and we were sincere in our repentance, do you know what the Lord promises to do? Forget it. He promises to forget it. But you know who doesn't want us to forget it? Satan. Because if we live in a constant state of guilt and sorrow over something the Lord has already forgiven us for, then it causes us to be at a standstill in our walk with God. You know, it's hard to understand, but God forgives us much easier than we forgive us. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. And I actually kind of think when the Bible says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith I have made thee free, I think that's part of what he's talking about there. He has set us free from the bondage of sin. So if we've been given liberty, it doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. But if we've asked for forgiveness and the Lord's forgiven us, we can live in that liberty and not have to dwell on what we did or that guilt. We can put it behind us and press forward, as the Apostle Paul said. You think Paul never had anything he regretted after he was saved? Read Romans chapter 7. He did things after he was saved that he shouldn't have done. He doesn't go and list them and point them all out. Why? Because he doesn't need to. God forgot him when he asked for forgiveness. So you and I, we need to forgive ourselves. Well, what about the things from the past that have happened to me that are hurtful? I don't want to take away from that because I certainly had things in my past that have been hard to deal with. Uh, but God is gracious, and he saved us and wants to give us victory not only over the things that we've done, but over the things that have been done to us. He doesn't want us to live in defeat. He wants us to have life and to have it more abundantly. And then when we dwell on all those things, we're allowing Satan to strip us of the joy of the blessings of having a Savior who loves us and gave himself for us. The joys of having a Savior who wants to have a relationship with us that is sweeter and more precious than any relationship we could ever have this side of heaven. You know, as much as we love people, we can never love them as much as Jesus Christ. As much as people love us, they'll never love us as much as Jesus Christ. And if we can really grasp that truth, we can have the, the, the appreciation that we ought to for what he's done for us and who he is to us. If we don't, we'll find ourselves with the stronghold of bitterness, the stronghold of anger, malice, and just in general having a bitter, ungodly attitude. All right, so secondly, you have a stronghold if you are committed to a course of action contrary to the Scripture. 
I put another verse in the notes here. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now we know that was to Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, 23. He rebelled against God. So God made it so he was going to be done being king at some point in the near future. But it always amazes me the, the, how strongly God speaks against rebellion here. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the iniquity, is as iniquity and idolatry. You ever find yourself being rebellious or stubborn? towards God and his word? If so, the Bible says God sees it as witchcraft and idolatry. It's why it's so important for us to, with, when our kids are young, to try to teach them, to try to win their hearts. I had this conversation, this, uh, I don't know how much younger than me he actually is, but a young man at family camp who, him and his wife, they've got Five or six kids. They might all be boys, too. They are. Yeah, five or six boys. And they're young. Their oldest is probably 10 or 11. And he came up to me, and he was talking to me about raising kids and stuff like that. And I really do believe this, and I told him this. But first off, we talked about having to have their hearts. He talked about having to have your kids' hearts. And, and I agreed. I said, we absolutely do. If we don't have their hearts when they're grown, then... It's going to take a whole lot for the Lord to have their hearts. But I said, you know, if, if I do believe if two parents uh, really do their best and they have their kids' hearts, the Lord does pick up some of our slack. And, you know, there are some kids that they rebel for a time, but the Lord eventually gets a hold of them and brings them back. And, you know, we've seen that over the years many times. Um, there have been plenty of pastor's kids who have rebelled when they became adults. But over time, eventually, God brought them back around. Um, so, that being said, for you and I, we need to be careful that we are not rebellious and stubborn when it comes to the Scripture. And a stronghold will cause us to do that. I can't tell you how many times... I have heard people say when I've brought up a passage of scripture that tells us we need to live a certain way and nobody in this room right now or even that comes to our church faithfully right now, but I've heard this phrase, well, that passage is highly uh, debated and there's a lot of people out there that aren't really sure that's what it means. So, uh, you know, I don't think we can really take it that strongly. It's like, whoa, why is it that every time we talk about scripture and what it says, that excuse of, well, that's a highly debated passage. There's one person in particular, it seems like almost every passage I ever bring up, he tells me, is highly debated. So it's like, so what you're saying is the whole Word of God is highly debated, so we should just throw it out. So if that's the case, how do you know you're saved? Yeah. How do you know you're saved? If every passage that tells us that we shouldn't live in this sin or that sin or we should do this thing or the church should be like this, if every time we talk about this, you tell me it's highly debated. How do you know that by faith, by grace through faith, you are saved? And that it's not of your works. Because if it's of your works, buddy, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
some of our works, we're all going down. I mean, that's just how it is. But uh, it's, it's sad. But people explain the Word of God away and try to make it not say what it says, not mean what it says. So we got to be careful. All right. Moving on. Number three, you have a stronghold if you resist the Word of God. Similar to uh, you're committed to a course of action contrary to the Scripture, but some people just frankly resist it. Mark 8.31, if you will. Mark 8.31-33. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and he began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men." You know, Peter, I don't doubt Peter was saved. Uh, Peter's the same one that when Christ said, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter knew who Christ was. I have no doubt that he believed and that he was, he was saved and that he trusted Christ. I have no doubt about that. And yet, Christ, who is the Word of God... When he was telling Peter that he was going to die, he was going to be crucified, because Peter didn't understand it, he refused to believe it and even rebuked Christ, the Word of God. He said, not so, Lord. Probably most, maybe all of us, would never be so brash to say something like that to the Lord. But do our actions speak that to the Lord? Does our heart speak that to the Lord? To where Christ said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Why would he say that? Well, because the reason Christ was going to die was for God's purpose. But Peter didn't want him to die. He wanted him to set up his kingdom. So Christ was saying, You were focused on your own blessings. And I'm focused on God's will and the blessings of the whole world. Many will be able to receive salvation through the sacrifice Christ would make. That was God's plan. But Peter wanted, you know, and frankly, we all are that way at times. Many people can be shown truth from God's word only to say, yeah, but. <laughs> yep, that is a yeah, but. Yeah, but, yeah, but. No, I won't do it. And then they explain it does not apply to them. I kind of touched on that already. Years ago, there was a man in the church. Oh, yeah. Years ago, we had this guy in the church that was a real challenge for me especially. If you were here in the first couple of years, you probably know who it was. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> every time I was up to preach. Now, I was younger then. Uh, I started, we started the church, I think I was 27. And uh, he was well, in his 50s or 60s, something like that. Had been a deacon in another church for a long time. 
They were in our church because of a church split. It was not a church that's really of like faith. Uh, they're, not, they're not Baptists. They don't use the King James Bible. You know, it was just different. And yet they, he came and led about 15, 20 people here. So here we are, first six months of starting a church, and all of a sudden we got 20 people in the church. And it's like, woo, praise God, God's working. But you know what usually happens? Uh, and I knew because I had several older, wiser preachers tell me this, that usually what happens when you see quick growth from a church split, just hang on because they're going to they're split off from you before long too. And that's what eventually happened. We did have a couple folks stay for a while, but uh, it was about a year and a half, and then they were all, most of them were all gone. Another few, couple years after that, and the rest of them were gone. But, um, you know, it was unfortunate. But every time I would preach, this particular man was turning in his Bible the whole time I'm preaching. I'm like, what is he doing? He never listens to what I'm actually saying. He would just wait, listen, and pick up one thing I said and spend the rest of the service searching the scriptures to try to argue against me after the service was over. So every time the service was done, I could see him waiting out back, and I'm like, here we go. And in the beginning, I would try and debate with this man, and it got to the point where there was, I just knew. I was no winning with him. I could be... I could be as right as right could be, and I could show him from the Bible, but it did not matter. He had in his mind, he was right, and I was wrong, and I wasn't convincing him. I was the young, dumb guy, and he was the older, wiser man, and he was just going to, oh, boy, I don't need to get into all that. But anyways, it was, those were hard days as a young preacher. And I remember one time he, on a midweek service, they asked for prayer for another church that had a, a young pastor there that was having a hard time had just taken the church. And then a few weeks later, I asked uh, how things were going for that church. And he said, oh, the pastor left. He said, he was another young preacher that couldn't cut it. <laughs> like that. And he was poking fun at me. <laughs> I was just like, wow, okay. So, well, here we are. Anyways, still here. He would quote this verse to me, Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. That's what he would quote to me. But you know, we look at that verse, you know what he missed? They were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. First, they received it. He didn't receive it. He heard it and said, ooh, I think I can prove this wrong. Or I'm sure going to spend the rest of the service finding out if I can so that I can go and argue with the pastor after the service. And then they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They weren't searching to prove this person wrong, the preacher wrong. They were searching to confirm from the word of God that what he said was true so that they themselves could be convinced in their own hearts that what he just told them was true. Not going, Ooh, how can I show that I'm smarter than this guy? Or how, you know, the spirit of it needs to be right. There's nothing wrong with going home after church and saying, oh, that was really interesting, but I've never heard it before. I'm gonna go search that out and see that I believe that that's true. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, that's not a bad thing. It, in fact, it can be a good thing. But there is something wrong when it is in a spirit of rebellion and stubbornness and pride that is about trying to show someone else that they're wrong. 
There's no grace in that. There's no grace in that. All right. So we got to receive the word. Some will say, well, that's your interpretation. I've heard that. I already shared, well, that's a heavily debated passage. We don't really know if it belongs there. I've heard that. Well, I believe in liberty. I've heard that. The Bible says God is love. That's not all it says about God, just to be clear. It also says he is jealous. Uh, but that's the favorite line, God is love. I believe God wants me to enjoy this life. Yes, but not in your flesh. Just God understands this is something I struggle with, and I just can't stop. It's just who I am. Nope, that's not what the Bible teaches either. So, you know, those are just some things that I have heard people say to me over the years. Well, God understands. No, he doesn't. That's like saying, I can't trust Christ as my Savior because I just can't believe that strong enough. But God understands, and he'll still save me. Show me chapter and verse. I mean, I don't like to say that to people a lot, but show me the chapter and verse where God says we can live in our sins, but he understands. I've heard it so many times. God understands the day and age in which we live and that, you know, we have to do church this way because that's how we get people to come to church. Well, God never said it's our job to go and try to attract people to come to church. We're not running a theme park. The church is not a, a corporate business. We're not trying to sell anything. All right, we can move on because we'll camp out there the rest of the time. Number four, you have a stronghold if you focus on the actions of others to defend your own behavior. Romans 14, 12. Romans 14, 12. It says, so then every one of us shall give an account or give account of himself to God. So when we say, well, they do it, well, they're not going to give an account for you. And when we stand before God, that's not going to be a satisfactory answer. Well, they never did this, so why should I have to do this? Or, or well, they do it, so why? That never worked for my kids either. And I'll tell you, even though it used to drive me nuts when I was a kid that my parents uh, wouldn't accept that answer when it came to my schoolwork, like I had this class, geometry. I was no good at geometry. There was one particular teacher in school, it just happened to be the teacher I had, that very few people were good at geometry when it came to her class. Uh, and I made sure that my parents understood that when I got another C or D or whatever it was on my test. And I said, well, there's like 20 people in the class, and only three of them got a B or higher. And they'd be like, we don't care. You're not every other kid in the class. We expect you to do better than that. Well, I didn't, but I was, I'm thankful now that that was never a satisfactory answer for my parents because I couldn't use the excuse of, well, they do it, well, them, well, them. That was never okay for my parents. And it's not okay for God. And that helps me now to understand that that's not okay for God because it was never okay for my parents. Uh, 
2 Corinthians 10, 12. I put it on, uh, nope, I put it on the screen. There it is. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Comparing ourselves to other people is just not wise. It's not. And you know, that, that, that comes in, that can be, applied in multiple situations. Well, they do this sin, so why can't I do it? We could do it that way. But how about this? Well, uh, you know, we can look at ourselves as being good enough or good because, well, this person's looked at as good and we have this thing in common. But we don't know about all the things they struggle with and they don't know about all the things we struggle with. We need to compare ourselves against the Word of God and live according to this book. This is the standard that God has given us. Not each other, not another church, not another pastor. They're not the standard. God is the standard. Now praise God for good examples. Praise God for people who challenge us because of their godly walk with the Lord or because of how they, how they live their life. But be careful that we don't begin comparing ourselves and measuring ourselves against men. This is the standard. And I will tell you something, men fail. So those people we measure ourselves against, they may fail. They may fall short. We may find that they've been living in sin and they, you know, might be a godly preacher seemingly, and at some point they may not be a preacher anymore because of something that they do. What does that do to us when we look at that person as the standard? It crushes us. There are people who are, are not in church and have not been in church for a long time because of a pastor that sinned, because of something that they did, or because of someone in the church that they really respected that did something they shouldn't have done, and it just really crushed. There are people who were in the ministry that are not in the ministry because of someone they looked up to that was in the ministry that did something they shouldn't have, and that person who stood behind the pulpit, their whole ministry was, was charged by that person, and that person's fall caused them to drop out. It's sad that people can have that strong of an effect on us, but we got to be careful that we don't measure ourselves against other people, that we don't make them the standard, and we don't forget the real reason we're living the life we're living is for him, not for some person, but it's for him. All right, we're going to move on so we can wrap up. Number five, you have a stronghold if you get defensive when biblically confronted by a spiritual leader and or scripture. We've talked about what that is a little bit, but that's pride. Proverbs 13, verse 1. Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Yeah, when, and that can be our father, it could be a spiritual father, it could just be a, a person who is a leader or uh, providing instruction in our life. This is one of the passages that Brother Hawkins used over in Pro, uh, Proverbs chapter 1. If we flip over here, I'm just going to go through it quickly, and we're just about done. We have one more after this, but it'll be a short one, because it's going to be kind of a review of something we already talked about. 
All right, beginning in so Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Wisdom crieth without. You know where wisdom comes from? According to James, wisdom is from above. We get wisdom from God. He's given most of it, a lot of it, to us right here in his word. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse. In the openings of the gates in the city, she uttereth her word, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge? Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Uh, you know that turn you, that's essentially repentance. When the reproof comes, it should cause us to turn. When God reproves us from his word, it should cause us to say, okay, God, I'm going to fix that, and I'm going to change direction. I'm going to change my mind. Well, men, sometimes our wife reproofs us with some good scriptural insight. Let's not be so prideful that we can't take counsel from our wife. Wives, don't be so prideful you can't take counsel from your husband. Parents, sometimes our kids have some really good things to say. Don't be so prideful we can't take some reproof from our kids every once in a while. Now, sometimes they get a little haughty and they're trying to give us reproof that they're not ready to be offering yet, but our kids have some good things to say. I love it when my kids can teach me something because it's a blessing. It's a good testimony to them having a walk with God. Don't be so prideful we can't receive reproof from one another. All right, verse 24, because I have called, I never put that up there on the screen, did I? There we go. Keep up. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. So what's this telling us? Well, that the person who's being offered wisdom and reproof did not receive it. They did not turn. So now they're in the predicament of they've refused this instruction. But ye have, verse 25, but ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. This is wisdom. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. What happens is we get ourselves into a bind, into a bad situation, when wisdom was there saying, you shouldn't do this thing, you shouldn't make this choice. But we wouldn't listen to wisdom, and because we wouldn't listen to wisdom, we find ourselves in a position where now it's too late. The wisdom we should have had and refused before that would have avoided us from being in this, prevented us from being in this situation, now we're in it, and that wisdom can't help us anymore, because now we're stuck. And sadly, what is often being looked for by wisdom at that point is to to get out of the consequences of our bad choice. So then it's, oh no, now I've got these lousy circumstances, these lousy consequences. Now I need help to get rid of the consequences. But the consequences could have been avoided if we'd listened to wisdom in the first place. Verse 29, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. 
For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. So I say wisdom, but it's really the Lord that they re refuse to listen to. If we listen to the Lord, and we seek the Lord, and we follow after him, he'll prevent us from a whole lot of trouble. But if we don't do those things, we may find ourselves dealing with consequences that, boy, we wish we could get out of, but it may be too late. All right, number six, our final one. You have a stronghold if your mind holds any unscriptural idea, for that matter. We've talked a little bit about this, but if our mind holds anything as truth or as fact, Romans chapter 12, 2, and yet it does not line up with Scripture, then we have a stronghold in our life. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do we overcome strongholds? Well, the renewing of our mind. Our natural man wants to be conformed to the world, wants to fit in doesn't want to stand out, doesn't want to be different, wants to enjoy the things that the world has to offer. And that mindset is going to produce strongholds in our life. But if our, if our heart's desire is to have the renewed mind that the Lord wants us to have, the mind of Christ, Elijah preached on that Friday morning at family camp, well then we can avoid these strongholds. John 10, 10, it's on the screen there. It says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, Satan, sometimes we think Satan just wants to get us to sin. But actually, he wants to do a whole lot more than that. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our lives. He wants to destroy our home. He wants to ruin us. He doesn't just want to get us to sin one time. He wants to ruin us. Because if he can ruin us, you know, if he can ruin, I'll put myself on the chopping block. If he can destroy my life with sin, and he destroys my marriage with sin, he has a pretty strong possibility of possibly destroying my kids' lives. And what does all that do to the people who are in our church? Potentially, there are people here that their life is wrecked, at least to a certain point. And then there are other churches, and there are other Christians, there are other pastors and pastors' families that look at my family and look at our church and are encouraged and strengthened by what God is doing here. Now they're hurt by it, too. We don't realize how far-reaching the destruction of one person or one family can be on other Christians. So Satan wants to destroy us. He doesn't just want to cause us to sin in the secrecy of our, uh, of our minds or of whatever. He wants to destroy us. That is what he is setting out to do. I think we sometimes think don't see him for how evil he really is. We don't see him for the destruction that he really wants to cause. 
That's why the Bible says he walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Not seeking whom he might be able to wound. He's not a little kitty cat that wants to just scratch you on the arm to get you to leave him alone. No, he's a lion who wants to destroy you. All right, so conclusion. Be honest with yourself and with God. Do you have strongholds in your life? I, I honestly believe that if we're all honest, we probably all have some strongholds. We might not even realize they're there because they are so ingrained in our thinking that we don't even recognize it as a stronghold. We don't even know it's something that we're wrong on. We don't know it's a problem. We've been so influenced by something or some things in our life that we have this wrong idea or ideas that we don't even know we have. The only way to find them out and the only way to correct them is with the Word of God. If we turn back to our original passage, actually I got it on the screen, but it's going to be small. So if you want to turn back, 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians, not 1st. 2 Corinthians 10. We're just going to look at a few of the verses we read. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Understand, our minds are a battle. It's a spiritual battle to keep our thoughts right. So we don't war after the flesh, even though we walk in the flesh. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. If we use the tools, the weapons God has given us, then we can win this spiritual battle and pull down strongholds. Well, We'll get there eventually, but Ephesians 6 tells us that our offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Mm. Verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. How do we revenge all disobedience? When your obedience is fulfilled. We revenge that disobedience that might have been in our minds, that might have been in our hearts, when we take the thought captive and we do what is right. When we gain the victory over that stronghold by pulling it down and living the way God wants us to, when we pull down that wrong idea and we abide by the Word of God, live by the Word of God, when we pull down that thing and we, and we get it right, we let the Word of God reproof and correct us, then we revenge that disobedience through our obedience. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that pleases God. And if we're going to accomplish that, we have to think and believe right. And if we're not careful, life will produce strongholds in our minds. So we have to check our thinking with the Word of God. And if we get our thinking right, then we will live right. We'll abide, we'll, we'll obey the Word of God. All right, well, that's what I have for today. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your Word. And I know we jumped around and talked about several different things and, and several different scriptures. But God, this thing of strongholds in our lives is a real thing. That's why your Word talks about it. 
Every believer likely has strongholds. And in reality, people who are not believers, people who aren't saved, have strongholds. And many times, it is getting beyond those strongholds in order for a person who's not saved to get saved. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today, uh, saved or not, that has strongholds that are hindering uh, their salvation or their walk with you, then God, I pray you'd help every one of us to have an open heart and an open mind to your word. Help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that if you see fit, or if we are ready to be instructed by you, then God, I pray you'd help us to, to get these things fixed, to get them straight, to get them right in our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would bless uh, each one here and help us to have an open heart and an honest heart with you, Lord. Before we close, uh, close the prayer this morning, if we keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed, is there anyone here that would slip up their hand and say, Pastor, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. I can't say that I'm saved, that I've ever trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Maybe it'd just be, you know, say I know I'm not born again, but I, I need to be. I want to be. If you're here today and that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I want to know that I'm right with God. I want to know that my sins have been forgiven. And I'm going to spend eternity with Christ some, someday. If you're here today and that's you, would you just slip up your hand? How about Christians? You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe you'd say, you know, I, uh, I definitely have some strongholds in my life. There are definitely some areas where my thinking is wrong, where I have my mind set on things that are not biblical. Maybe you know they're not biblical, and you want to overcome them, and you're trying to, but you've struggled to have victory over these wrong thinking, these wrong ideas. Let's just take a couple minutes and ask the Lord to help us through His Word to gain victory over our wrong thoughts. Let's take a couple minutes and I'll close us out.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we've seen. And God, I pray that you'd help us to do as it says in 2 Corinthians 10 and take every thought captive, pull down strongholds, bring it all into obedience of Christ. And Lord, help us to live a life that is obedient and honoring and glorifying to you. We know the church of Corinth had a lot of struggles. There were a lot of things in, in that church that were, well, some things were just out and out wicked, Lord, and they really had some things they had to deal with. And God, I, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to just have the mind that you want us to have, to renew our minds through the scriptures. Lord, I pray you bless our day, bless the food to our bodies, bless the fellowship. We love you and thank you and praise you for the many blessings you give us. We love you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.